right, now hold on a minute there. Just don't get excited. We got to get everything all set here. We got to wire up the transmitter. There we go. And we'll plug in the plug here. See if we got a fuse here. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, 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 hello. There it is. There it is. It's on. Can you hear me out there in Staten Island? You all set out there? I wonder if you know in Staten Island that the... Oh, here, here's a little note from the Huntsville, Texas paper via the Associated Press. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Hello, test. Hello, hello, hello. Coming through good, huh? Okay. Huntsville, Texas, February 15th. Women inmates of the state prison have now decided to sponsor a troop of brownie scouts. <laughs> oh, yeah, they call it the bust-outs. Squad in there. Right through there. They teach him tracking and things like that, you know, and building fires and all things first aid. You know, speaking of, uh, of that, uh, I, I, uh, this uh, problem, I, the problem of the Brownie Scots being sponsored by uh, the women inmates at the Women Slam there in uh, Texas. Or is it uh, Texas? Yeah, Huntsville. Well, of course, that's Texas. I, uh, it's a funny thing, I, I was in the subway today. And I'm riding along there, rocketing through the through the darkness in the subway. And you know, of course, uh, that the that there is a peculiar atmosphere in in New York and the world. In fact, today it's uh, it's as though it's as though all of mankind is about to explode in about nine million different directions. And it's uh, it's just one of those times, and the sun is beating down, and it's hot, and I and I'm hanging onto that white pole in the subway. You know that 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 enamel pole that you hang onto, and right above my head is one of these subway fans. Now, this subway fan, like most subway fans, uh, it, it seems to generate its own hot air, which it blows at you. It does not stir the air around. It creates another kind of air and blows it down on you. No matter where you go, you're either in between the fans, in which case you, caught, you get caught in a kind of an eddy current, where your hair blows two ways at once. One side of your hair blows back and the other side forward. And it's very odd. So you decide, what I usually do is stand directly under one fan, which gives you at least a unity of uh, bad things going. And so I'm standing under there holding this thing, and, and boy, I can you know, just feel it in the subway. We're rocketing along, and we're knee-deep in cigar butts and, and old uh, paper cups that were used to drink coffee and all kinds of all kinds of stuff. You find the subways these days just laying there on the floor, and it's up to your knees, you know, and the people are going back. Guys are hurrying through. Have you noticed that there's a whole new thing of people hurrying from one end of a subway to the other? They go rushing through. Where are they going? I mean, I I never can find the difference between subway cars. They all look the same. I, there must be some place, some some secret club car where people go or something that they go. I don't know. And they're rushing back and forth. And I see down at the other end. I said, can, can people huddling and talking and there's papers flying in and the doors? We'd stop at a stop and the doors. Other people would swirl in and they look shiftily to the left or the right to see whether they better, you know, whether or not, whether or not to make a break out of this car. Then it goes, rolls on in the darkness again and the, and it's hot and the wind is blowing through this. So really, it's, it's really out of some kind of a, a strange, uh, Dantean dream. And, and I get to, uh, I guess it was about 49th Street. And I, and I begin, uh, begin to be aware of a sign staring at me. You know how these signs in the subway stare at you? You know, the girl who is always looking out and says, uh, does she or doesn't she? You know, this one that always looks in. There's, a, there's usually a big fat 
picture of Yogi Berra looking down. Mr. Berra invites you to see the Yankees. You've seen this one. Well, I, I, there, was a, there was a kind of a round-faced kid staring out of the sign at me, and he's got a, a green Boy Scout hat on. And above it, he's just looking right at me. You know, he's got this look, this 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 kind of this kind of uh, intent, naive, innocent, and yet knowing look of the eternal the eternal teenager looking right at me. And above it, all it said was, "Be prepared." Well, I took another grip on that that uh, enamel pole there till my knuckles were cracking. <laughs> And we stop. Another crowd swirls in, shifty-eyed guys. And and people, all of a sudden, I notice, I look around, and I notice everybody has strange-looking bulges under their elbows and back around there. And I, and, I, and I suspect that I'm the only one in the car that ain't prepared. Give me a little more, a little more, more stars and stripes, please. A little more star there. I'm the only guy in the car that ain't prepared. You know, all of a sudden, I, oh. So I reach my all I've got between me is an old Mary Jane wrapper, and I've got a streetcar transfer that I've been saving ever since, hoping that if I ever get back to Philadelphia, I can use it because it's still valid. It does. It, it wasn't dated, you know. And I got a few little things. That, be prepared. Be prepared. Are you prepared out there? There you go. It's so great, you know. These slogans—they sound so great. When I was a kid, you know, it sounded so simple to be prepared. When I was a Boy Scout, I remember Mr. Gordon and the Boy Scout troop saying, well, now, you know, all right, all kids now, all right, now, before we begin, we, we, we'd have a, a thing about the flag, you know, we'd start the Boy Scout meeting. I don't know how many girls have ever been to a Boy Scout meeting, a real classical Boy Scout meeting. Well, it starts out this way. They start about eight, and uh, we would get, we'd go into the basement of the church, which was where we had our Boy Scout meeting. Sometimes it would be in the high school uh, gym that we had uh, confiscated for that week. And we would arrive in there about eight, maybe five minutes to eight, and mill around a little bit and hit each other and holler and yell. And then Mr. Gordon would say, all right, now, all right, troop, now line up, line up. All right, all right, line up. All right, now, come on, now, Moose Patrol over there on the left. All right, now, Eagle Patrol. Okay, now, we had Eagle Patrol, Moose Patrol, Beaver Patrol, Rat Patrol. And all right, all right, all you guys line up there now. Okay, now, okay, now, all right, now, now, let's pledge allegiance to the flag. And there would be the flag at the other end, which I pledge allegiance to the flag. Of course, there were all kinds of variations. I wonder how many of these people who are making all this brouhaha about the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, how many teenage variations they, they know. Do they know how many teenage variations there are on that? Variations, that, uh, special kid words when you're saying it sounds like you're pledging allegiance to the flag, but you're actually saying something very rotten. <laughs> I pledge allegiance to the flag. <laughs> Don't they know about You never heard that? Oh, yeah, there were 18 variations to this thing. Already sore heads were being born. I don't know why, but they were there. So so we're, we're doing this. And after, after it's all over, he would say, and now, okay, now, all together, repeat after me now the slogan of the Boy Scouts. And we'd all say, be prepared. And, it, you know, it, it seems like what you do when you're being prepared is you just get enough matches. You know, you have matches and you put them in a little box where they're waterproof. That seems to be the essential of being prepared. You know? <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and of course, of course, I, I think uh, I think that we, we all do believe in slogans. We believe in slogans so much, and, and uh, slogans to the point where slogans seem to be thinking, really thinking. And so when a guy says, "I believe," and I'm going to run on a platform called "Be Prepared," that seems to make a lot of sense to a lot of ex-boy scouts. Now, it depends on how you consider yourself prepared, you know, and, and what you're prepared for. I don't know of any man ever who has been prepared for life. 
life itself. How can you how can you prepare for Tuesday? Oh no, no, we, we can build up the, we can build up the myth that we we are. We can really do. We can build up we can build up a, a not really a myth, but the illusion that we're prepared by uh, creating uh, notebooks full of appointments for next week, and you line them all up. How can you be prepared though? for the actual way that those appointments turn out. You can't. You just can't. Life, life is... is, is, uh, life is uh, of course, a lot of people blame the fact that life is chaotic on society this is, or the government. It's, uh, I heard... I, it's, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're getting into a period of, of history now where no matter what happens, it is the rotten government that did it. And you, you hear this in very strange places. You hear, you hear this kind of nuttiness going on in places where you would never expect it. Inadvertently this morning, I happened to be listening to Alfred and Dora McCann. And they're, they're droning on about frozen asparagus and, and recipes for club sandwiches, you know, and all these other big things. Have you ever made a club sandwich, any of you out there? I don't know. But that was a big issue on the Al McCann show today. And uh, I don't know anybody. Club sandwiches are sandwiches you buy in restaurants, aren't they? I don't know anybody who deliberately makes a club sandwich. It's a, it's a, you know, it's like it's like making beer or something. You don't do that. You just buy beer or you buy a club sandwich. Now I, I can understand cheese sandwiches. Al, you make those at home, yeah. And salami sandwiches, yeah. But club sandwiches are something you get at jazzy restaurants and pay like four times too much for. They're little things, you know, bacon and lettuce and that. They all stick up. It's mostly bread, actually, Al. That's all. There's no mystery. Al, Al seemed a little confused when he looked up the recipe somewhere in the Encyclopedia of Food or something. Al said, well, Dora, uh, I'm a little nonplussed about the recipe that uh, the Encyclopedia of Food gave for the club sandwich. It says uh, the bread, it uses three slices of bread that must be toasted. And that's all. Well, Al, that's all there is to a club sandwich. Uh, I was missing the point. That's what a club sandwich is. But nevertheless, uh, in the middle of all this, it's going on. You know, I'm listening to club sandwich stuff. And, and what I'm trying to do at the same time, I couldn't get to the radio to deal with it, but what I'm trying to do at the same time is to... I had busted a shoelace at a crucial moment. I had an appointment at 12.10, an important appointment, and I busted a shoelace at about five minutes before I was, you know. There I was, you know, I'm frantically trying to tie the shoelace, and I couldn't get to the radio, and all this stuff about the, about the uh, club sandwiches are coming out. When suddenly Al gets a hold of a letter, he says, I have a letter from a listener, uh, and the letter says, uh, Dora, would you please stop rustling papers while I read? Uh, the letter says, Dear Mr. McCann, in our community, well, it is impossible to buy white eggs due to the government stockpiling all the white eggs and now unloading them on the market. And they're all three years old. The government is keeping the brown eggs off the market. Well, there's a long pause, and Al says, well, that's ridiculous. Uh, and so it, it, I, I heard that, and I thought, well, now, isn't it fascinating that somebody going to a supermarket, who, and they can't get the right color egg, it's the government. <laughs> never could be the A&P company. It never, never occurs to them. You say, uh, it's, it's the government. Everything today is the government. Guys have even related their sexual problems to society and the government. Serious, if there was a new administration, I'd be able to swing. I tell you, I tell you what they're doing to me. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's happening everywhere you go. Uh, speaking of uh, sexual problems, this is WORAM at FM New York, and uh, we'll be here for a while. Um, somebody can listen to some night. But uh, nevertheless, though, this is, this is getting to be a serious uh, issue. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this thing, and it says, be prepared. And, and I'm sure a lot of people riding in the subway, that means it makes a lot of sense, be prepared. Well, does it? Does it really? And, of course, immediately I'll be, by tomorrow afternoon at this time, I will be knee-deep in tracks. <laughs> People say, <laughs> I know how. Well, uh, there's a good question there now. Uh, we're entering a period in time when, uh, in history, where a lot of the, uh, the old phrases that seem so, so absolutely logical have practically no meaning at all. They're jabberwocky, J- total jabberwocky. Uh, and, and uh, of course, that summer, uh, this long, hot summer, is finally arriving. And uh, the, it, it, I, I think that, the, that the, total, uh, the total sum and substance of it should be a fascinating uh, history. Not, it won't be a footnote. It will be a, a whole set of volumes in the end. And we're living in it, you know. Uh, we're living right in the middle of it all. And yet there are some, some fascinating misconceptions that go along with this thing. Now, like the other day, I was reading a, a, reading a piece, and uh, it's one of these well-meaning pieces that are continually being written, that the only creature on the face of the globe who likes to fight is man. They're always being written by well-meaning people who like to believe that. Uh, they, they'll say that creatures don't fight, the, the, the bears don't fight each other, uh, that wolves don't fight each other. It's only man that fights man. Well, let me read a little piece to you. It's a fascinating little spooky piece, and uh, and I, I uh, the, the the it's one of those little things that will disappear in the darkness, and no one will say much about it, and it just appears way down at the bottom of a paper. But listen to it. Do you have a little uh, a little sinister? No, no. Yeah, yeah. Give me give me a little cheap guitar music, and we have to set the scene there. That's it. Cheap guitar music will do it. Yes. Now, there, there is a thing that runs... That's enough, a little cheap guitar music there for a moment. Just keep it in the bands. We may need it, though, so to be prepared. That, uh, that the Walt Disney World kind of says that all of animal life is, 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 uh, is cute, basically. Uh... Many writers will give you the impression that whenever man arrives on, uh, say, if man arrives at Mars, he bespoils Mars. Uh, when man arrives anywhere, he bespoils that. This is this is a concept that has, is runs through so much science fiction. It runs through so much uh, of of the implied attitude of, of playwrights and authors and poets and so on. I'm curious. I'm curious what a bear would say if he were writing about bears. I'm really curious about this. Of course, no, the, the bears have not come to the point where they do write about bears, so we really don't know. But I'll tell you this. We would argue with them. We would say, no, we're worse than you. And the bears would say, well, wait a minute. You haven't heard yet what, uh, what bears do. Uh, here's the little piece that I want to read to you. It's from, from, a, from a country. Now, if this happened in Ohio, it would be a great piece, and you'd know about it. But this happened in Taiwan. I read to you from Taiwan. North America Newspaper Alliance, Taiwan. What was the cause that moved more than 1,000 toads to fight a war? 
that ended with 40% casualties. Love, food, or ideology? That is the question that has troubled more than 2,000 spectators of this spectacular war that took place Friday in Juifang Township, about an hour's drive from the city of Taipei. The people in Juifang don't see toads very often, if ever. They see them, the ungainly creatures are occasionally seen hopping along quietly alone on deserted path or in gully or near lice paddy. Rarely do toads near Yoifang congregate in groups. On this strange, misty morning, thousands of toads came from all directions to congregate near big irrigation canal just outside of town. Their throaty bass notes their throaty bass cries attracted the town people at 9 a.m., and they all came out to see what was occurring. For more than one hour, this multitude of unwieldy reptiles, toads, locked themselves in a fierce fight-to-the-death battle. For more than one hour, thousands of toads rolled about the ground, battling to the death, one against the other, it was hand-to-hand toad warfare. When the Great War was over, Yoifang people counted more than 4,000 bloody casualties. Those that survived the bloody war limped away as mysteriously as they appeared. Face-to-face with stark brutalities of war, many women onlookers shed tears, many men onlookers also shedding tears. But it was agreed there was no way to stop this unusual, terrible, bloody carnage. Yoifang Township authorities are meeting now how to dispose of the bodies of the fallen heroes, the fallen heroes of the toad battle. that scene. Now hold it. That's it. That's enough cheap guitar music. (laughs) Now think of that scene. Now we are living in a world, in in America primarily, where almost everything we witness is done vicariously. Most of us, uh, most of us wit... We bring you now another direct report from Harlem from the WOR Mobile News Unit and John Wingate. Suddenly, police cars whirled up this way. There were about a hundred tufts on the street. They carried those signs pointed for Gilligan, and when police dispersed them, they're chasing them now down Lennox Avenue. The police cordon has moved on. Down came the bottles from building, right on the street, on the sidewalk and everywhere, and the engineer and I took two steel helmets and shall stay there. Now back to WOR. We'll return you now to Gene Shepard. Well, this is... uh... There we go, and uh, and I, it's it's funny how we gradually uh, slip into a state in in the country, which a year or 
five years ago would have caused a tremendous amount of excitement. Have you noticed that, that, that news items now, uh, John Wingate uh, doing this uh, on-the-spot report, it's more or less almost a routine thing, strange, that, that uh, a couple of years ago, if such a report had been coming through, uh, there would have been a wild excitement. The, the station would have been loaded with phone calls. Millions of people would have been, uh, would have been involved. And, and the only thing I'm, I'm trying to say here, I guess, is that, is that it's, it's strange how a society, any society, a group of people, uh, can adapt themselves to changing conditions and history and, and, and changing violence without recognizing or perhaps even really reacting to it. Uh, the other night, I, uh, I happened to hear on the air somebody, uh, somebody did a, a, a strange and very, uh, uh, extremely powerful. It was on WR. I don't know who it was who, done, who had done this thing. But I happen to hear a tape recording of the sound of street violence going on. Just no no, uh, no words, nobody talking. But did you hear that tape recording? Yeah, the sound of... of, of it was fantastic. It sounded, it, it sounded like a war, really. It sounded about as close to a war as you can get without being in a war. In fact, it was a war in its own way. And yet, it was just part of the news, and now the weather. They say afterwards, uh, and this is not to not to uh, say anything about the news department or anything like that. It's just the way our world is. We we are becoming so accustomed. That that's, relates to my earlier comment. How can you be prepared when you never will be prepared for life? Because uh, <laughs> it's the way it is. And and the scene of the toads fighting. Getting back to the vicarious, I guess, I guess partly our problem is, and this is in, in the, the modern world, is that almost everything that we see and hear and are part of is unreal. Modern man doesn't really much engage reality himself. Very few people ever really get wet by the rain anymore. Very few people are ever really heated by the summer. They live their lives in air-conditioned cars or air-conditioned cabs and air-conditioned offices. A very few people ever even really see death. It's something uh, once in a great while, uh, I guess the average person uh, during his lifetime may attend two or three or four funerals, and then his final one himself, which he doesn't really attend. You know, that's about the extent of it. And so it becomes becomes all vicarious. We, we sit and watch television. You know, it's funny. I believe that, that the more we are, 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 are uh, given news, the more we see television shows of news, TV news, the less real it becomes, rather than the opposite. You know, it used to be said that if people saw uh, newsreels, if people saw uh, television news and so on, that they would become aware of their world. I say no. It becomes more and more like a movie, and less and less like real life. That that the more you're 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 given these images. Now, uh, this is a very. A very uh, uh, peculiar. Uh, I, I suppose the the area that that I'm talking about here is the area of perception. Uh, how do we perceive reality? How do we perceive actuality? Which is another thing too. It's a word not heard very often. People usually talk about reality or truth, but they don't discuss actuality, which uh, is a subtle but very important, uh, different uh, word and phrase that describes another condition. Uh, how do we really see it? I wonder how people, say, living in uh, Waterloo, Iowa, 
perceive the events that are going on here in New York City at this very instant, if at all? Or is it a, is it a kind of a TV show? I heard a guy today, look me right in the eye, a guy today in the news business, by the way, say to me that he believes most of this talk is just newspaper talk, and it's been it's been blown up by the quote the newspapers. This is another one of those uh, interesting myths that the newspapers create the news. This is an easy way to put it into the safe file. You know, if if, if you read a a, a a a story of some wild event that you just don't want to believe, that you don't want to really feel, you can say, "Oh well, you know they've." Uh, They've certainly uh, exaggerated that, and you stick it away under the exaggerated by the newspaper writers who want to sell newspapers department. This is the great myth. You know that during the during the early 20s, it's funny, I hate to I hate to bring back some of these historical points, but uh, I've talked to people who were involved in there. During the early 20s, there were newspapers who were who were talking about uh, the, the conditions in Germany, this is in Germany I'm talking about, who were talking about things that were going on in the Nazi party and so on, and it was largely dismissed by many Germans as newspaper talk, whatever that is to people. What is newspaper talk? That's a good question. Uh, a large number of people say, oh, come on, people don't really, they, they're not acting that way, it's ridiculous. And so somebody would report on a speech down at the Bauhaus in which 45 guys' heads were busted, and uh, 18 guys were thrown out in the street, and four guys disappeared into the river. And and large numbers of people, oh, that's newspaper. They want to sell newspapers. Nobody really believes it until suddenly there's a, a cannon shot across his bow. Then it becomes real, and then somebody should have done something about it beforehand, they start yelling. That's the be prepared myth. Somebody should have... We return once again to the WOR Mobile News Unit in Harlem and John Wingate. Incident of the evening. There was one just a moment ago. We're at Lenox Avenue and 116th Street. There are two screaming Negro women in the street. Uh, just what started and brought the cars down here, I don't know. It's the largest collection of police cars yet. Here's an eyewitness. What happened? What happened? Nothing happened. These guys came in my name. I'm still on the corner here. All right, just tell I'm me the story. On the corner here, right here. These guys chased came in my name and started chasing for no reason at all. I'll tell you what happened. Just started chasing swinging nightclubs. Well, that's no, no. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We heard the police up earlier say, "Get ready to roll." We have an alarm from 116th and Lenox. You had one view there that police came in. The uh, police did not come in that way. But you've got about two to three hundred people gathered here now at this intersection. The police have sealed it off completely. Uh, previously, they let us drive freely and even follow their cars up and down Lenox and 125th Street. This intersection is sealed off completely. Uh, the woman or women injured are being placed in an ambulance. There are about seven police cars, radio cars, lights flashing in center. More coming, as you can tell by the sirens, a gathering of about two to three hundred people here. All down 116th Street, the police cars have set up a blockade. It's impossible to tell at this time, of course, just how it started, uh, who turned in the alarm, how the police got here. We had one uh, bystander who was subjective who said the police came in and began to swing clubs. Uh, we arrived in the cordon of police cars. That's not the case. All we know, about 300 people here, the biggest single collection so far this evening, they were shouting, they pushed police, the police did fight back. This is not a near incident. It is so far the only incident of this evening. It is not so serious as the ones that occurred previously, but it shows the tension that goes here. About 300, they had a real shoving duel with police over in front of a cut-rate drugstore, and that's where the injured woman or women were brought out. Apparently two women in the street 
uh, placed in a stretcher in an emergency vehicle, and they're out. The whole intersection sealed off, but uh, the Negro bystanders are piling up by the subway. <clears throat> I'm sorry, police now trying to disperse them. All gathered here in this knot at 116th Street and Lenox Avenue. A real flare-up, not as compared with those of Saturday, but the biggest tonight in Harlem. Uh, this is John Wingate, now back to WOR. And now, once again, back to Gene Shepard. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there we go. Uh, it's very difficult, uh, you know, as a citizen of a country, it's very difficult to know, and especially when you have at your means and at your disposal a... Uh, a means of communicating with a large number of people. It's extremely difficult to know uh, just what can be said. You know, during during the during the uh, during the great uh, growth of uh, you might say uh, social revolution that takes place. It took place, for example, in in, uh, in Germany. Very few people knew it was happening, nor even knew what to say about it, how to see, uh, how to, how to react to it. And uh, I don't think, I, I, I really believe, I, I don't think very few people, and certainly including myself, I'm the first to say that, have any concept of uh, the world that we're living in and what is about to occur or what, uh, what is already occurring. I don't know. Right or wrongly. This is, uh, uh, and, and you know, it's so easy. It's so easy to say you know all about it. It's so easy to say, well, you know, this side is right, that side is wrong. It's so simple to say, and unfortunately, it isn't that simple. Uh, it's so easy to say, well, well, uh, this is right, that's wrong. You know, it's, it's <laughs> boy, uh, that, that what, is, what is beginning to happen, uh, are there people behind it? What is, uh, who is, who is becoming involved? Who are the people? What are their private axes that have to be ground? Are there private axes? What happens when you take the human uh, being and you just say to him, well, the leashes are off now, go. What does he become? I wonder what, what most of us are uh, underneath this level uh, or this peculiar, this strange structure of what we call society or civilization that we've created so painstakingly over the thousands of years. I wonder what we are underneath it if allowed to run free. Well, I think that many of us living today will find out. I think that we're going to find out within uh, comparatively a short period of time and, uh, and incidents in history that could never have been foreseen by the science fiction writers or by the political uh, writers, the political satirists, the political uh, projectionists, the George Orwells, the Aldous Huxleys would never possibly have been conceived. Uh, it's, it's, it's intriguing uh, in, in, in a society where really, in, in, in most ways, our society is, it gives more freedoms to more people that the big issue is freedom. That's fascinating. Uh, and, and I'm certainly not taking any sides here, but it is intriguing that, that, this, that this society, where this is a fact, uh, is nevertheless the big issue. And the word, of course, freedom itself, is one of those words almost impossible to define. In fact, it is impossible to define except personally. Uh, and so, so uh, I, I suppose this is the way it's always been, though, that, uh, that, the, uh, that the inability of people to communicate one with the other has always finally resulted in this 
kind of uh, thing. Uh, where it'll end, no one knows. And don't think for one minute that, that, that you know or that I know or anybody else knows. No, no way of knowing. And uh, yet here we are in the middle of it, and uh, we're all part of it. Uh, and there's nobody, nobody ever escapes history, you know. Uh, and this is one of the great myths, too, that I will lock myself in my room and uh, let the world swirl on around me. One of the most fascinating passages that I've ever read in fiction is a passage of Stendhal. He was not really writing fiction. He was, uh, he was writing about himself at that point. And uh, he was writing about, uh, he was sitting in this room, and he was very irritated because all the noise and all the hoopla that was going on outside, up and down the streets, was bothering him at his writing. And uh, apparently he didn't spend much time looking out of the window, but he was complaining about it. What he was complaining about was the French Revolution. And uh, all the time he was only writing about uh, the Duke uh, getting involved with the, with the Duchess and whether or not the, the, uh, the Countess was going to fall in love with, uh, with the young rake. And <laughs> all the while they're surging up and down. And, and Stendhal, he, uh, he didn't see it. And yet he was one of the great writers of, of uh, that period. And, uh, and yet, on the other hand, people who think they see it don't really see it. It's, it's, uh, it's fascinating to read accounts, contemporary accounts of, say, the Civil War or contemporary accounts of things uh, uh, as recent in our history as even World War II or even World War I and find out how little understanding human beings have of the events that they take part in. And I'm sure that a man living during the Renaissance was not aware of this. There were glimmerings that things were different and strange, but it took maybe 500 years before the term even to become used. You know, they, they didn't use it during the Renaissance. Uh, the Dark Ages didn't become the Dark Ages until well after uh, history had uh, looked at it and decided they were. Now, I'm sure that during the days of the Dark Ages, they weren't dark. They were just, you know, they were days, that's all. And there were guys yelling that things were going to be better, and other guys were yelling things were worse. Uh, one of the, You know, of course, one of the great problems, uh, one of the great uh, philosophical battles that's always waged between people is, is uh, the downhill theory of history and the upward theory of history. Uh, there are people, there, there, there are those who say that, that history has been a downhill thing all the time. And uh, then there's the other group who say, no, it's been uphill. Now, one group says, well, how can you say uphill when in the last for example, in the last hundred years, more people have died in wars than all of recorded history before that. Well, that's a very hard question to answer uh, to those who say, well, mankind is doing better today than it did a thousand years ago. Uh, then there's the uphill, or the uphill, of course, the uphill school says, yes, but look, the man a thousand years ago walked around, he had no, he lived a hard life, he died an early age from disease and poverty, uh, he, he, uh, he had, he had terrible, uh, what we would call terrible uh, hardships of, of this time. There was ignorance in one thing or another. Well, now, what is ignorance? That's a good question, too. What is education? It's a very difficult thing to, to decide what is education. Because uh, I, I really firmly believe that one era's uh, education is the next era. And when I say era, I'm talking about thousand-year periods. One era's education is the next era's superstition. They look upon the last era as superstition, <laughs> and the next era will always look upon what it has evolved as education and right and real. And so it's, it's, it's almost impossible, really, to know 
uh, in the end. And, of course, people will, will get very angry when you say, well, yes, but then you are saying that mankind doesn't arrive anywhere. There is that theory, too. And that bothers people very much, very much, to say, yes, that's true. But if they look at an anthill and they watch the ants building fantastic tunnels and they build a gigantic anthill that gets higher and higher and bigger and bigger, and all that happens is a lot of ants die and the, the, the tunnels get bigger <laughs> and the hill gets higher, they can sit back and say, isn't it sad, the, the, the useless, senseless life of the ant? They can see it in the ants. Uh, but it's hard for, for the ant to see it, I'm sure, that the, that the ant, as he's sitting down in his conclave down there, they decide what, what, what is, what's going to be the final, the final salvation of the ants is to build this big, long tunnel that turns left, turns right, goes up to the surface, and then turns right again, and then at the top has a small mound or monument. This would be the final answer. So they, they organize a thousand-year committee to build it, and they build it, and then, of course, the ants continue to get stepped on by giant heels that walk across the field. And so another ant pr comes up with another idea, and they continue to go. Uh, where will it all end? Who knows? Where will it end? Will it end? That's a good question. Of course, that, that phrase is always used, too. Where will it all end? The assumption being that it is like a short story. Life or existence or mankind is like a play, that it will have a middle, a beginning, and an end. We're always looking for the beginning of mankind. Uh, so somebody wants to find where the story started. He finds that it's very difficult to find this thing. And they, uh, the anthropologists, the zoologists have been arguing about this for centuries. And they're arguing about the end. I guess uh, nobody has yet produced uh, what could be called the thematic theory of history or the belief by large numbers of people that there is a theme, a plot, uh, that, that there is a structure to all of it. Uh, this this, this has, has produced a great number of wars, too, because when the plot takes an unexpected turn, then everybody says <laughs> that somebody picked up the wrong cue or somebody's written bad stuff into the script. Uh, the script was right, uh, as long as we were playing my part, the part that I had written, and so on, on, on it goes. But uh, if, we, if we listen, uh, I'm sure that, that, uh, that now, what with uh, beginning, I'd, I'd say roughly beginning the first of the year or before that, I suspect that when the history of all of our time is written, that one of the great turning points of history, I'm talking about overall great turning points, almost as great as, say, some of the strange little turning points of history, like the, 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 uh, the assassination of the Archduke at Sarajevo, uh, Sarajevo, however you pronounce it, uh, the Archduke, Archduke Ferdinand, uh, which they credit with launching World War I. I suspect that one of the great turning points of our time will be the death of, of John Kennedy. It began a new period of almost untrammeled and, and completely self-involved and selfish violence, that this was the first major act of that kind, although it had been growing for some time. Uh, I suspect this, oh, maybe I'm totally wrong, I don't know. But it does seem, and I think many people do feel this, that suddenly the day after, or even that afternoon, uh, when Kennedy died, something changed in the air. You recall this? Do you recall people talking about it? Do you still feel it in the air? Hasn't changed a bit. Uh, it, it actually, I suppose, goes back to a few incidents that occurred before that, uh, all the way on up in the line. 
Until finally we come today to, to strange uh, political statements, odd uh, movements that are forming, uh, things which are occurring almost uh, like what they call a spontaneous combustion out of the air. Uh, there, there was a theory, you know, an old uh, chemical theory about phlogiston, which was a uh, uh, <laughs> this was this was a mythical substance that caused burning. It just came out of the air, and it was there. You could isolate it. It's as though spontaneous combustion has slowly been building up, as though mankind, or at least this portion of mankind here in America, is at long last joining now what Europe has known for centuries, and what Asia has known for centuries which is constant strife, constant problems, constant assassinations and revolutions and wars. And, and uh, it's as though suddenly we have joined it. And large numbers of people are, you know, confused by this. We've, we, in a sense, we have finally rejoined the human race and all of its evil and all of its good and all of its violence. We've suddenly come into it and here it is, home to roost like some giant vulture sitting up there with its talons and its red eyes and its yellow beak just looking down through a dark swirling gray cloud <laughs>